Before we begin, let me take a moment to tell you what you're in for. The story I'm about to share with you comes from the universe of the Traveler's Gate trilogy by Will White, and only if you've read those books do you have the full training necessary to handle information from that realm. This story was previously released as part of the Traveler's Gate Chronicles short story collection, so if you've read that already, I have good news. You've already survived exposure to its incredible power. The only difference today is that you'll be experiencing it with your ears instead of your eyes. If you haven't read the Traveler's Gate books, you may not be able to harness the full energy of these stories. You can try if you'd like, but side effects of unqualified exposure may include confusion, lack of comprehension, or spontaneous combustion. If you're the kind of person that wants to prepare yourself and read the books first, you can find House of Blades, the first book in the Traveler's Gate trilogy, on Amazon or Audible. It will give you the guidance necessary to comprehend these stories without bleeding from the ears. However, if you know that you are unqualified and have decided that this story isn't for you, then we understand and wish you a fond farewell. May we meet again someday, you beautiful stranger. For those of you still with me, we're going together into the pieces of the Traveler's Gate world that weren't covered in the main books, unexplored and unknown corners of the territories. We're going off the edges of the map, and here, there be dragons. The Feathered Plains Loyalty is a fine attribute, though it is often misunderstood. Some interpret loyalty as nothing more than allegiance to a group or cause, but this is far from complete. Elysian Book of Virtues, Chapter 2, Orange Denner had never liked Avernus. It was one of the safer territories, but that only meant it wasn't always crawling with murderous specters and fire-breathing monsters, and it had plenty of water and fresh air. An Andros or Naraka, drinkable water was far more valuable than gold. As locations went, Avernus boasted some impressive scenery, waving plains, forests of impossibly tall trees, sharp-sided mountains like daggers of stone. He wasn't sure what it was about the territory that irritated him so much. Probably the people. Denner stood in a high-roofed tent lined with Avernus travelers. Each of them wore some arrangement of buckskin or hide decorated liberally with feathers. They clearly meant to imitate the Avernus tribes of old, who had lived off the land in the feathered plains and only occasionally stepped out of their territory. Unfortunately, these modern travelers got most of it wrong. One skinny 15-year-old kid wore a bear-tooth necklace, bears were not native to Avernus, and a wide-brimmed hat made out of felt. Another woman squinted at him through a pair of spectacles perched on her nose. The end result was a tent full of people who looked like they had bought their costumes from a shady acting troupe. Each of them had an owl. One woman cradled a giant brown owl in both her arms. Another man sported a fluffy black owl on one shoulder, and the woman next to him had a sleek white owl perched on the top of her head. All the birds stared directly at Denner. He couldn't escape their huge, unblinking eyes without walking out of the tent. Maybe this was what he hated about Avernus. There was always a bird watching you. The high watcher of the Strigaya tribe sat at a desk directly in front of Denner. She reached up and adjusted the blindfold over her eyes. We believe the Halliot tribe has taken our young rebel in an attempt to use her powers against us. We have seen this future. If our rebel remains alive, everything that the Strigaya tribe has worked for all these years will count for nothing. Denner cleared his throat. 
What has this Dragaia tribe worked for all these years? Never mind that, the High Watcher snapped. Her huge black owl glared at him from over her shoulder. Denner's oversized leather-bound book shifted under his arm. He pressed his arm tighter against his side, squeezing the covers together. The book let out a little squawk, but it sounded enough like a bird that Denner hoped nobody noticed. Eliminate the rebel, the High Watcher continued. Bring proof of her death back to us. You will be compensated appropriately. She produced a leather purse and upended it on her desk, spreading gold coins across its surface. How dramatic, Harriman said from beneath Denner's arm. Denner held the book tighter, wishing he would shut up for another minute. Several Avernus travelers gave Denner odd looks, perhaps wondering how he could speak without moving his mouth. A couple of owls cocked their heads. Denner barely noticed. He was staring at the gold. How many nights in a real bed would the money buy him? He had been on the road for so long. He could always stay in his bedroom back in Valenhall, but that place had unpleasant memories for him now. Like most of the others, he stayed away as much as he could. Do I have to kill her? He asked at last. The old woman raised an eyebrow, which looked decidedly odd behind her blindfold. I thought I had hired a warrior of Valenhall, not an Asphodel gardener. You haven't hired me yet, Denner said, though the gold did look awfully tempting. It did bother him, though, that they simply assumed a Valenhall traveler would be comfortable murdering some stranger. Was their reputation as bloody as all that? As it happens, yes, we do need her killed, the High Watcher said. Her sight is too dangerous to simply keep locked away. Denner scratched at the stubble on his cheek, debating. If she can see the future, I don't see what hope I have of catching her by surprise. There were ways, even in Valenhall, of evading visions and other forms of supernatural sight, but none that Denner could access on short notice. The High Watcher waved her hand. Our sight is not such a convenient thing. I do not anticipate you will have any trouble. We would catch her ourselves if she were not so close to Haliot land. We are not a match for their eagles in open combat. Only by foresight and preparation do we remain safe. What makes you think I'll be any safer then? Denner asked. We wish to hire the best, she said. And we've heard you have something of a specialty in this area. Under Denner's arm, Harriman cackled. Everyone was staring at the book now, even the blind high watcher. Is your book talking? She finally asked. Now, how does she know he's a book? Denner wondered. Out loud, he said, getting him to talk is no problem. It's getting him to stop that's the trick. Inwardly, he debated for a few more moments. Then he sighed. He was putting off the inevitable. Where do I find her? He asked. The High Watcher smiled and gave him specific directions. So specific, in fact, that they must have been watching the rebel from afar. Were they sending birds to spy out the land? or were their powers of clairvoyance that formidable? She has short brown hair, the old woman said. She will try to stab you at your first meeting, and she will not be wearing the proper uniform of a Strigaya tribe traveler. Denner took that to mean she wouldn't be dressed like a novice actor in a cheap city play. He bowed to the watcher. I will keep you informed, he said, and turned to walk out. Harriman's fussy voice interrupted his exit. I can't help but ponder the irony inherent in calling a blind woman the High Watcher. Aren't you rubbing her nose in it a bit too much? Or is it that she's less manipulative and short-sighted than the rest of your- 
Whatever else the book was about to say was cut off as Denner picked him up and squeezed him between both palms. Denner offered a shaky grin to the room of insulted Stragaya tribe of earnest travelers. Books, right? He said, trying to laugh. You can't take them too seriously. Hours later, Harriman was making up for the time he had spent silent by chattering nonstop. So you see, the term feathered planes is actually a misnomer. The first travelers to return only saw planes, so they assumed the entire territory was nothing but a vast stretch of rolling grassland. Naturally, that's not the case, as was proven by the scholars. We're proving it right now, Denner interrupted. He pushed a branch away from his face. These obviously aren't planes. Tut, tut, Harriman said. Never mistake subjective experience for proper objective proof. It took years of cartography and observation to finally determine that the ecosystem of Avernus is so varied. That, or a single traveler with open eyes. The forest around them had everything Denner would have expected in ordinary mundane woods. Blooming trees, a green canopy, a carpet of fallen leaves, scattered underbrush. But everything here seemed to be scaled for giants. The fallen leaves were the size of bedsheets, the berries on nearby bushes bigger than Denner's head. The trunks of the thinnest trees were wider around than a ballroom, and the canopy was so far overhead the leaves might as well have been a green, sun-dappled sky. The branches Denner pushed away from his face were attached to bushes the size of ordinary trees. On the scale of this forest, they might have been weeds. At least they got the feathered part right, Denner said. He meant it idly, but he knew Harriman would respond. Harriman never passed off the opportunity to lecture. Yes, indeed they did. Harriman said brightly. Every observed animal native to Avernus is some kind of bird. There are the birds of the five main tribes, of course, but thousands of others, many of which remain undocumented even today. What an exciting territory this is. A swarm of small, blurring forms the size of mosquitoes flew out of a nearby bush, pausing to hover in a flock over Denner's head. As he got a closer look, he realized they weren't bugs at all, but some kind of tiny black hummingbird. Something rustled the leaves of the canopy overhead, and Denner craned his neck to look up. High above, a beaked head pushed its way down through the leaves. Its feathers were the color of flame, and its beak looked long and sharp enough to stab through bear hide. It cracked its beak and let out a caw that actually shook the ground under Denner's feet. The ambient noise that usually filled the forest, the chirps and songs and rustlings of leaves and feathers, went silent. The giant bird at the top of the forest glanced around, then slowly withdrew its head. Its beak slid out of sight like a dorsal fin disappearing under the ocean. Harriman, Denner muttered, how big do you think that thing was? At this distance? Harriman asked, making no effort to keep his voice down. It's hard to say. How are we to know how far away those leaves are? More than big enough to swallow you whole for certain. If Manu was around, I'm sure he could tell us precisely. That's okay, Denner said wearily. I don't need to know any more precisely than that. Maybe Avernus wasn't as safe as he'd thought. Harriman's gold face, engraved on his front cover, squinted off into the distance. I thought you might want to know, he said. We are about to cross over into Halliot lands. How do you know? Those feathers on that tree next to the red bush. Denner looked and saw a bundle of white feathers nailed to the bark. Harriman chattered on. Three feathers, the middle one reversed, means that. Something caught the edge of Denner's hearing, and he clapped a hand over Harriman's face. 
In his mind, he reached out to Valenhall, to a stone tablet engraved with a stylized image of an eye. He closed his eyes for a moment, and when he opened them, he saw the world through a red haze. The forest floor was dull, almost rusty, while the trees had veins of ruby running through them. The birds, hidden in the underbrush, were brighter still. From past experience, he knew the symbol of an eye, an exact match to the image on the tablet, would have appeared in the center of his forehead. His would be drawn in red light, which he supposed explained why he saw the whole world in red every time he called the third eye. Valens had been purple, and if he remembered correctly, Catherine's was blue. Denner slowly turned his head, scanning the woods. Turning too quickly would give him a splitting headache. After only a few seconds, he spotted what he was looking for, a mass of bright red seething light. As best he understood it, the third eye allowed him to see life. The more energy a living being had, the brighter they showed up. Plants were dull and lifeless stone all but invisible, though humans blazed like stars. A human like the one trying to hide herself behind a nearby tree. Denner banished the third eye. He could have held on to it longer, but it would take five or six hours to recharge already, and the longer he held it, the more time it would take to return. Besides, banishing the eye always gave him a splitting headache, and he wanted to get over the pain as much as he could before this woman tried to ambush him. What is it? Harriman demanded. What's wrong? I can tell something's wrong. I'm not an idiot. Denner sighed. I thought I heard something, Harriman. I checked it out, but I was wrong. It was nothing. Deliberately, Denner turned his back on the hiding woman and began to take loud, heavy steps back the other way. You really don't need to be so paranoid, you know, Harriman said. I don't think it would kill you to simply let yourself relax and enjoy your exotic surroundings. There's much to be learned in Avernus. For instance, did you know if you ate a berry from that bush behind you, you would grow feathers instead of hair? It's true. I once knew- Hold on, who is that? Denner turned, calling Stone. The power of Valenhall hardened around his skin, defending him in case this woman was as dangerous as the High Watcher suspected. He caught sight of her, with her hands empty and open, her knife sheathed at her side, and he realized she wasn't a woman. She was just a girl. Maybe fifteen at most, scrawny and underfed and covered in more scrapes and bruises than clear skin. Her hair was hacked short as though she had cut it loose with her own knife. She stared at Denner with a determination so fierce it looked almost like anger. I didn't stab you, she said. I noticed. They said I would stab you, didn't they? Well, I didn't. I appreciate that. Thank you, Denner said politely. Privately, he wondered why the High Watcher hadn't mentioned that their rebel was little more than a child. Had she been trying to trick him? Had the girl's age not mattered to her? Or had she expected it not to matter to Denner because he was a bloodthirsty killer of Valenhall? No matter what, he was going to have a few words for the Watcher when he returned. Just a moment, Harriman said. This is the dangerous rebel of the Strigaya clan. I hope she's more dangerous than she looks. My name is Karen, she said. And yes, there's a lot more to us than you think. Us, Denner asked. But he should have known better. A shadow passed over Denner's head, and he instantly summoned his dragon's fang. Like most of the other fangs, Diava was curved and sharp along only one edge. Its hilt was wrapped in red and gold thread, and a line of spidery script ran up the flat of the blade. 
It was a normal, comfortable length for a sword, nothing like Kai's seven-foot monstrosity. With Harriman tucked under one arm and Diava gripped in his other hand, Denner crouched and raised his eyes, ready to strike a bird from the sky. A brown and white owl glided silently overhead, lighting on Karen's shoulder. The bird scowled at Denner and gave him a single disapproving hoot. Us, Karen said. You see what I mean about paranoia, Harriman put in. We need to work on your nerves. Feeling somewhat silly, Denner relaxed, releasing the stone amulet. Its power was about to run out anyway, and banishing his sword. We've seen you already, Karen said, standing there, sent to kill us. Do you even know why? I don't think it's my job to ask, Denner said. He had taken money for this kind of thing before, but he was usually hired to kill enemy commanders on the battlefield or stop out-of-control travelers, not to kill a girl who had run away from home. Karen absently stroked her owl's head, but they both continued staring at dinner, absolutely serious. Strigaya owls, and therefore travelers of the Strigaya tribe, have visions, she said. You know that. Everyone knows that, Denner said. That was all anyone did know. Everything else was shrouded in typical traveler mystique. It's not as convenient as you think, Karen went on. You can't decide what you want to see whenever you want to, like opening a book. Each traveler sees something different. The High Watcher, for instance, sees gold. Gold, Denner asked. Like veins of gold, gold mines. That would explain why she was willing to spend so much money to hunt down one rebellious girl. Karen and her owl rolled their eyes at the exact same time, which was more than a little creepy. Not just gold, money, currency. She sees visions of times when buying something will affect her future. She probably saw herself handing you coins, so she knew she would, or maybe should, hire you. Do you see? Apparently you're the ones who see, Harriman quipped, laughing at his own joke. You get it, the see. Denner sighed. It's not all that useful. Karen went on, ignoring Denner's advisor. Most of the tribe only sees very specific things. One of my best friends could see the positions of the stars any time. If he concentrated on a day in the future, he could see what the stars would look like that night. It was more helpful for predicting the weather than anything, since he knew whether it was going to be cloudy. My father could predict down to the hour when the latrines would need to be emptied. It wasn't glamorous, but he saved us from disease more times than we'll probably ever know. Karen stared off into the forest, her face growing distant. Her owl nuzzled into her head, hooting softly. Denner waited a few more seconds, then cleared his throat. Karen and her bird turned back to look at him. They blinked at the same time. No one of us is too useful on our own, Karen continued. Our visions are too limited. But together, we can shape the future. Denner looked into the giant forest, thinking over the girl's words. This was getting far too troublesome for him. There were too many factors at play here that he did not and could not understand. He never should have taken a bargain with the Strigaya in the first place, but last night he had boiled stolen heads of wheat to make a thin soup. The coins were too appealing. Harriman squirmed under his arm, and Denner let him speak. Pardon me, but there seems to be an inconsistency in your story. If Strigaya visions are as limited as you claim... Why should the tribe care about you? Surely you can't pose a threat on your own. Karen's owl sighed and shook its feathered head like a teacher exasperated by a stupid pupil. The traveler smiled and stroked the bird's head. I see travelers, she said. 
not just Avernus travelers. I see travelers from all different territories, and I see them in moments where they will have to make an important decision. I've seen the king several times, deciding whether he will personally ride to battle. I've seen Grandmaster Helgard deciding whether to step down, and Overlord Indiriel considering whether or not to train his daughter. I've seen you, Valenhall Traveler, standing in front of a tree, deciding whether to kill me or speak to me first. Denner stared at her, stunned. No wonder the High Watcher wanted this girl dead so badly. In any conflict, travelers were the most valuable resource. If one side could read the decisions of the enemy travelers before they were even made, well, Denner would rather have Karen's power on his side than two dozen Naraka travelers calling fire from the sky. As he stood there, trying to digest the full implications of this girl's ability, his mind latched onto the one least significant aspect of his situation. He was being rude. Oh, I'm sorry, he said. I never introduced myself. I'm Denner Weeks. She cocked her head at him, the same way Kai always did. That's not your name, she said. Denner fought back a chill. It is now, he responded, as firmly as he could. There was a long silence, apart from the tripping of a thousand birds. Overhead, a giant limb shook as though something had landed on it. Ahem, Harriman said. While this has been interesting and everything, we really should move this along. Either kill her or let her go, Denner. The book's right, Karen said. You have another decision to make. I've already seen the results of trying to run from you. I can't do it. My only chance is to persuade you face to face. Denner had killed more people than he cared to remember, and he had more dead friends than live ones, but he didn't consider himself much of a murderer. He wanted an excuse, any excuse, to let this girl go free. But he was also a man of his word, so that excuse would have to be a good one. Why did you run away? Denner asked at last. Karen raised her head to stare into the trees. Denner was struck once again by how lost and alone she looked. Her face was caked with dirt, her hair ragged and hacked short, her clothes barely holding together. I'd be happy to answer you, she said, but it looks like we're out of time. Denner looked up himself and saw what he had already begun to expect. Huge white eagles, the mounts of the Halliot tribe, had landed on most of the limbs in view. He could count six mounted Halliot tribe travelers without even trying, and he knew more must be on their way. But he was still a Valenhall traveler, and these were Avernus. Maybe Endros or Tartarus could have posed a threat. He had to admit being a little nervous. No battle was certain, no matter how overwhelming it appeared. But he doubted his story would end in this feather-strewn forest. We have time, Denner said calmly. Tell me. Beneath his arm, Harriman chuckled. Karen glanced nervously up at the trees, then around at the underbrush, as though looking for an opportunity to flee. Denner stayed where he was. He could catch her easily enough if he wanted to, and she knew it. One day, the red trees will die, and the incarnations will be free once again, Karen said at last. Denner's heart froze. She shouldn't have known enough to say that. He supposed he should stop underestimating the girl who could see the future. The Strigaya tribe has known this for years, she went on, keeping both eyes on the Halliot travelers in the trees. They think the incarnations breaking free will mean a world free of Ragnaros control, that the world will be restored to its natural order. We've all been raised to agree. My parents believe it, my teacher believes it. I was raised here in this territory, so all my friends believe it. 
Harriman made a choking sound. Denner probably sounded the same way. Why would anyone want the incarnations free, he said. Do you have any idea how many people would die? Do you? Karen challenged. I've seen it. They will escape. I can't see anything we can do to stop that. But we might be able to do something about the incarnations after they've broken free. What? Denner asked. He had seen an incarnation before, and he had no desire to repeat the experience. Karen shrugged, almost dislodging her brown and white owl who flapped its wings for balance and hooted indignantly. I don't know yet. I'll figure something out. For now, I have to get away. A deep male voice called down from the trees. Outsider, he said. We are taking this Dragaya girl. Do not resist, and we will allow you to leave. Seemingly on instinct, Karen took a step backwards, her face twisting in fear. What are you going to do, Denner? She asked, keeping her eyes locked on the Halliot Eagles. There was only one decision he could make, really. Even when he'd been played like a game piece, it burned him to go back on his word, but there was nothing else he could do. Denner summoned Diava. The dragon's fang shimmered like a heat haze as it materialized, its weight comforting in his hand. I can find you a home in Damasca, Denner said. I'm friends with an overlord after all. Karen gave him a relieved smile. Thank you, she said. But I can't. Everyone I know is here. I can't leave them, even though they want me to. When they succeed, they'll suffer under the incarnations as much as anyone. I have to help them, even if they kill me for it. Her determined resolve made her look much older. She had clearly made up her mind. What a surprise, Harriman said. Strigaya travelers being foolish and short-sighted even though they can see the future. I think you made that joke already, Denner said. Who's joking? Last chance, outsider, the Halliot traveler roared from overhead. One of the giant eagles shrieked and Denner winced at the sound. Walk away, we're taking the owl girl with us. Denner used Diava to gesture into a bush big enough to hide an entire house. Get in there and hide until the fight's over, he said. If you see a chance, run. Karen crawled under the bush, but she hesitated before she disappeared completely into the leaves. Do you know a man about your age who has white hair? He may or may not be carrying a doll. A shiver ran down Denner's spine. I think I know who you're talking about. Harriman snorted. Ha, he said. You think? Karen licked her lips. At some point, he's going to have to decide whether or not to take an apprentice, she said. Tell him he should. She seemed shaken by something, above and beyond the eagle-riding travelers about to descend from the sky, so Denner gave her a smile. I will, he said reassuringly. Karen stood up, grabbing his forearm in both her hands. This is important, she said. He really, really should take an apprentice. Denner pulled his arm away, trying not to show how uncomfortable he felt. He was used to traveler work, but he could never relax around someone predicting his future. It was unnatural. I'll tell him, he said. I promise. Stay where you are, the Halliot traveler roared from overhead, and Denner sighed. He was going to have to deal with his troublesome situation after all. He called Steel. Instantly, the chains began crawling up his forearms. They may have looked like shadows, but they felt like real chains, and they grew link by link as they slithered up the backs of his hands and around his wrists. At the same time, the steel flowed through him like an icy river. 
Three of the white Halliot eagles were lifting off from their branches high overhead. One of the birds carried a huge traveler with a feathered leather helmet on over his head. He held a spear in one hand. Denner presumed he was the one who had spoken. Denner jumped. He didn't have the increased speed he had seen Indiriel and Valen use, but he was fast enough on his own. Agile as a cat, he hopped from tree trunk to tree trunk, steadily leaping higher until he reached one of the lowest branches. Before the travelers could react, Denner was among them, staring an eagle in the face. He jumped again before the bird could bite his nose off, landing on a higher branch. The huge Halliot flyer was hovering only six feet away. From this position, Denner could speak with him over his bird's flapping wings. But the other traveler was still staring below him at the spot where Denner had stood only a moment before. Over here, Harriman called. The big traveler's head spun around, and he found himself staring at Denner from only a few feet away. From his perspective, the scene must have been quite strange. Denner had climbed up these huge trees in an instant, and here he was, wearing a travel-stained brown cloak and carrying an enormous red and gold book and a long, gleaming sword. What, what tribe were you with? The traveler demanded, though his voice was shaky. He sounded much less intimidating now that he wasn't shouting. Are you Gendo? As Denner often had to remind himself, most travelers had never heard of Valenhall. The Strigaya were something of an exception, he supposed, since they could see into the future. I'm not an Avernus traveler, Denner explained. Of course not, Harriman said contemptuously. Do you see a bird anywhere? Honestly, doesn't anyone think anymore? I've been hired by the Strigaya tribe, Denner continued. We'll take care of the runaway girl in our own way. Leave her alone. The Halliot man frowned in confusion. But it was one of your owls who told us where to find her. You said we'd have a chance to do whatever we wanted with her. Playing both sides of the board, eh? Harriman said. Both short-sighted and manipulative. This is truly a shock. You really need to get some new jokes, Denner said to his advisor. He looked back to the Halliot eagle rider, who was staring at Harriman in some confusion. Why were talking books always so much of a surprise? Back away, and this doesn't have to end in violence, Denner said. The Halliot traveler's face hardened. Denner sighed. Then, with the strength of Benson's steel, he leaped forward. The white eagle squawked and flapped its way backwards, but it wasn't fast enough. Denner landed on its back and grabbed the traveler by his collar. With one hand, he hauled the man over the towering drop to the forest floor. The traveler kicked and screamed, and the eagle bucked under Denner's feet, but thanks to the steel, he ignored it all. I'd still rather this not end in violence, Denner pointed out. The other traveler nodded vigorously, his feathered helmet flapping. I love to see a peaceful resolution, Harriman said. This reminds me of one of Valen's first battles after- Denner let him ramble. With any luck, the eagles would fly away that much faster to escape the lecture. When the High Watcher felt her way into her tent that night, using a cane to feel her way inside, Denner was waiting for her. You didn't tell me she was a girl, Denner said. He didn't sound as angry as he felt. The High Watcher froze, fear flashing across her face. The mighty warrior of Valinol, Denner thought, assassin of children and bane of blind old women everywhere. Angry as he was, he still had to fight an urge to help her into a chair. 
After only a second, she mastered herself, and her cane came down to rest on the ground. Her age should not have mattered to you, killer that you are, she said. We told you enough to recognize her. Isn't that enough? Denner's anger flared up again. This was how she saw him, was it? Willing to kill anyone, anytime, with or without justification. He supposed she had reason to think so. Valenhall had a certain reputation, after all. And that reputation was not without its uses. Well, she's dead, he said. Give me my money. The High Watcher nodded, though she was looking at the wrong corner of the tent. Do you have any proof? No, Denner said. He summoned Diava, laying it across his lap. He knew she wouldn't be able to see it, but he had prepared for this eventuality. He pulled an ordinary rock out of his pocket. He began to draw the rock across his sword. It produced the distinctive ring of a blade being sharpened. Diava was made of tartarous steel, tempered in the forges of Valenhall. He couldn't sharpen it. All this would accomplish was grinding down the rock. But it sounded intimidating. For about half a minute, Denner sat there, drawing the rock across his blade, filling the silence with the sound of steel on stone. Then the High Watcher pulled out her purse. You show true loyalty when you remain dedicated to those who have turned their backs on you. If they reject you, you need not reject them in return. One may remain loyal to a cause even when all others have forsaken it. Elysian Book of Virtues, Chapter 2, Orange Congratulations, you've survived the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Today's story was The Feathered Plains by Will White, read by Travis Baldry. The next episode will be available on the day the Caterpillar of Ages consumes the last leaf on the sacred dawn tree. Until that time, remember, you may not be watching gnomes, but they're always watching you.